When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? You Nebraska ball fans almost had me. I was so close to jumping on board, but alas... The basketball segment will once again go as McGuire's quiet time. <laughs> uh, they gave Ohio State a good run tonight. We'll cover that here in a little bit. I'm also with Boomer. Hi, I'd just like to remind all Husker men's and women's gymnastics fans, please refrain from punching horses. Do not learn anything from Philadelphia Eagles fans, regardless of our <laughs> success. <laughs> Very similar fan bases. I Very much so. A raucous bunch. And uh, last, but obviously not least, I am with Honky. I've uh, been busy all day on Groupon trying to buy Super Bowl tickets. Uh, they've been going for about 4350 bucks. I've seen on the uh, open market, so that I can hang out with those Eagles fans. Seems what? high for that kind of crowd. Yeah, what's, what's the Groupon deal? Two for one? <laughs> yeah, I think. has got to be some of the most unappealing fan bases to go hang out with anyway. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. should drive prices way down. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. We do have a couple Huskers in that Super Bowl, though, so that's a, that's a good hearts. thing. Um, and uh, it was a good, decent football Sunday, I thought, overall. You know, I know that was, that was halfway decent games. Uh, really thought Jacksonville could pull it off, but to no avail. Well, guys, um, let's see. We got Mac back, which is pretty exciting. Welcome back, Mac. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I will offer no explanation. That's all right. That's all right. You know, I live, there's a, lot I live of, a mysterious life. It's just kind of how it is. I, I, I don't want to ask <laughs> questions, Max. I mean, you know, you disappear days, weeks at a time. You that's come right. back. Long, as long as you come back to us, that's all we care about. I don't want to say black ops, but it's black ops. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, speaking of black ops, what about redshirting? Uh, oh. How about that for a segue? That's good, hey, guys. Um I, let's let's kick this thing off uh, with a little bit of uh, some uh, sweep left. Sweep left. Our uh, wide-angle view of college football with uh, some new rules that may be coming down, guys. Uh, you know, we'll get into all the uh, good Husker stuff, um, recruiting and all that type of stuff going forward here in the show. But let's start with that wide-angle view of, of football. And uh, I think Honky might have pointed this out first out of this group, but there's a kind of under-the-radar uh, rule change that might be um, in play here very soon where the redshirting rule really could be turned on its side and allows anybody to play up to four games, any four games is my understanding, and Boomer, I think you're our expert, so I'm going to call on you to give us the details, and not lose that year of eligibility if they don't exceed the four games. Uh, where's this coming from, uh, Boomer, and uh, what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's been an idea. I know it was talked about last season as well. I think the ACC is the conference that's really been pushing this. 
Um, hey, and, Boomer, <clears throat> really quick. Uh, Honky, did we not actually talk about something like this a while ago? Because we do get results here at the Redcast, right? We do get results, yeah. We talked about it during one of the bowl game end of 2017 shows, how it would be nice to have the redshirt rule change so that, uh, especially at the bowl time when a bunch of fifth-year and fourth-year guys were sitting out the bowls for the NFL draft, it would be nice to have redshirts available. So, Boomer, it sounds like that's going to happen. Okay, so nationally, the ACC is getting credit, right, but at least right. from our perspective, we should get something. Well, That's all know, I wanted to make sure. We've got a lot of listenership <laughs> in the East Coast, so I, it's not a of surprise. Course. So, yeah, the idea I think behind it is just to you're still going to have the same five, you know, five years to play four seasons essentially. And my understanding is this actually would replace the the normal medical redshirt as well. So if you are injured, you know, only played four games or less that season, that counts as your, you know, medical redshirt. They'll, they'll always, I think you can still get waivers for, you know, certain exemptions and things like that. But that seems to be the proposal here. It's uh, gotten a lot of support from the coaching staff. I think the only pushback I've seen on it is there is the potential of, well, if we're going to allow this for football, are we going to have to allow it for all the sports? I think is probably the only concern I've seen voiced about huh. it. Kind of just That's kind a of a broader point. view from the NCAA because if you say, well, it's acceptable for football, why isn't it for basketball, tennis, you know, gymnastics, whatever? So it could it could be an advantage for any program that uh, has you know some talented freshmen uh, or uh, an injury situation, et cetera. Uh, hockey. Well, what are the rules in basketball and volleyball? Is there a certain amount of games they can play? Before. It's similar to football right now, I would say. I mean, there's medical redshirt situations. Uh, Isaac Copeland, for example, at Nebraska, uh, applied for and won that medical redshirt uh, from his uh, year at Georgetown last year where they only played like nine games or whatever. And he's a junior for us, so he gained a year of eligibility back. Okay. Um, so, like, it's probably proportional to the number of games played. So, because nine's yeah. hot. Okay. I would, okay. I would say probably a quarter of the season, give or take quarter to a third. About right. So it probably is, well, yeah. So if it just sort of followed the medical red shirt sort of guidelines, I suppose. So with basketball, yeah. like I, I always thought you could play a couple games in basketball, and then still end up red shirting. And for some reason, I thought this year that that Nana Atkinson, if that's if I'm saying his name right, I thought he was red shirting. And then I saw him play the last minute or two against against Michigan in the blowout. He so did. yep. I but is he red shirting? Is he still allowed to, even though he played in that? Do you know? Do you, I don't believe so. You don't think he's redshirting, is what you're? No, but I, I think I think you might be onto something there. I'd have, we're gonna dive into the rules a little bit with the uh, uh, NCAA men's basketball, but it does seem like occasionally uh, players do play a, a few games and then uh, do not lose that eligibility. But I, I, I can't say that for certain. So, mm-hmm. a good point. Let, let's play out a couple of scenarios here, uh, guys. Right? I mean, so uh, scenario one. And let's just take Nebraska in 2018 as an example. We were going to have 20-some guys in this class coming in. In this case, Scott Frost and company could play these true freshmen uh, in game one, game two, get a sense of if they really are are ready to compete at this level, and if they don't like them, they can uh, shelve them and they don't lose their eligibility, right? That's one scenario. Correct. Another scenario is you don't play those guys early, and as the season goes on, attrition, injuries, etc., you, you can pull pull someone off the bench, play a couple of games um, at spot duty, 
And then if you don't need them for all, you know, more than four games, you're still not losing that eligibility. So, I mean, this could have a lot of strategy to it. Uh, Honky, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, I also think the scenario number three, which is how will the SEC bastardize this rule to, to their advantage? <laughs> um, but Oh, you know they will. <laughs> they'll find out a way, right? Um, we got to beat them to it. <laughs> no, I, you know, we were talking about that a little bit before the beginning of the show here, and there is so much strategy coming into a season. You have a kid that you think pretty highly that you're going to be redshirting, right? But in the first game or two, you're playing an Akron or you're playing someone that you think you can uh, get ahead by and be able to, to play them. You're going to go ahead and do it. You play them in a game or two. You get them some experience. Now, maybe they come out and they, they play really well. Maybe they, they kind of blow you away in front of you know 90,000 fans, and you go, geez, maybe this kid is someone you don't redshirt. There's, there's a chance to sure. give them that first game or two experience. And then if it's going the way you'd expect, hey, you set them the next eight, nine games, and then once you get to the end of the season, you're getting to bowl, you know, the bowl season. A couple of the fourth and fifth year guys want to sit out the bowl game to not get hurt. That kid comes back onto the to the team, and and you're good to go. Another option, Dave, you'd mentioned it before the before the show. You don't play a kid at all until the last four games, and you you kind of get the best of of his eligibility sure. and and actually have him really be a. A contributor he's to the team. He's been in the program for almost a full year at this point, mm-hmm. maybe. I mean, he's actually acclimated to college life, all those type of things. And suddenly, at the end of the year, when you're beat up, et cetera, you've got uh, you know fresh legs on there. And he's been practicing against you know college players for for months at that point. Uh, yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of different ways to approach it, and it, it's probably universal. But you can now sell the fact that you can play as a true freshman a lot easier right i mean like anybody could say hey we'll definitely play you at least your four games and you know if you earn your spot uh you'll keep playing if not uh we'll, we'll save their eligibility and, and you're still a freshman in year two you know yeah i i think it's a i think it's a huge thing that's not getting a lot of discussion right now at least i haven't heard a lot being talked about it and assuming that it goes through it's it changes the game and changes the way that that you go about bringing players in, and, and changes how the bowl game you know d- discussion goes. It's it, it has a lot of ramifications, but I think it's a positive thing overall for college football. It's a positive thing for freshmen. It's positive for the teams. Boomer, uh, could this be enacted as early as next year? Yeah, it could be. They've got you've got to uh, oh geez, I, I can't remember the exact. Uh, steps the proposal has to go through it's basically like a two-stage process it has to go through for approval um the first stage would be roughly march and then i think there's some sort of like competition committee or something like that for the ncaa that has to sure. give the the final say so and they usually meet somewhere around april or so so theoretically it could be you know instituted as soon as next season you know no guarantee it would be yeah. it might be one of those things they want to study or enact at a year or two down the road or who knows what but yeah it 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 can come pretty quickly. It, it got great support among the coaches. I, they had a coaches meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, it was told it passed unanimously among the coaches, which really makes sense, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah, they're not gonna. No, say they're no certainly not gonna say no to having more bodies to play, and especially with the slightly increasing trend of uh, you know upperclassmen sitting out bowl games and things like that. I think this is just, you know, unfortunately the next logical step of that. You know, yeah, you, well, you sure. need people. To I mean, play. it's an easy easy thing to do. Yep. You know to. Improve, improve player relations, essentially. Uh, and, I mean, I, I just don't see how the NCAA is going to see a lot of negatives. I can see the NCAA allowing the SEC to do it on a five-year trial basis. And, uh, <laughs> and if it works <laughs> for them, else. maybe they'll, they'll move it to another five-year trial 
and then at that point maybe we'll kind of implement it into the rest of the the power five i'm not sure exactly <laughs> but that's usually how these rules work i hear you mac is there anybody uh on your mind that could use this as uh, a true freshman from nebraska next year oh my goodness i was just thinking like what a what a great rule change for a transition coach especially someone who's who's moving to a different style of offense, you know, to get the opportunity to really evaluate your freshman or your JUCO guys. Well, not so much your JUCO guys, but your true freshman guys um, and, and see if they, if they can move the ball or if they can handle it, especially, you know, your schedule is important with stuff like this, but you could sprinkle them in in other spots. If you've got that kind of window, heck man, you could do it every two games in or where you feel like this is a good spot for him to try it. And we can just test him out. Like it could be yeah. third game of the year. You know, let's just see what he can do. Or whatever, right? You know, you, you know, your, your your backup position may not be decided. So, I mean, you know, it would be a it'd be a great opportunity, and it'd just be it'd be fun. I don't really see a downside to it. So, uh, no, I'd be all for it. I, you know, every rule there's somebody figures out a way to make it a little screwy or you know whatever. You just gotta write it out, man. But yeah. that's all right. Have some fun with it. Spice yeah. up the game. Why not? You. Well, I think we've. Uh... Now made the transition into scarlet colored glasses. Let's uh, start diving into that Husker football talk, Mac. Scarlet colored glasses. Uh, you know, we missed you last week because a lot of stuff has been happening on their recruiting front, uh, and even more has happened now in the last seven days. I mean, this Scott Frost class is coming together quickly. I mean, it's a good thing. Obviously, February seventh is just around the corner, but uh, I I didn't think they could get as high as they already are in the rankings. I think they're twenty fourth or twenty fifth at rivals at 19 commits with two, three guys probably still out there, maybe a few, uh, even more, I don't know. I don't, I don't want them to get too many too many guys in this class because you want to make sure that the uh, regime uh, change class in year two has still got good numbers as well. But what do you think about uh, what Frost and company's doing right now? Uh, you know, it gets it gets said a lot, but it's pretty accurate. This It's been impressive. Their, their hit-the-ground running mentality has just been warp speed, and it's been consistent. Um, and like you said, the, the way they address the needs with, with the guys that are immediately eligible and, you know, the JUCO ranks, stuff like that, those guys kind of clear out quickly and make space for the freshmen coming on. So it doesn't, you know, for for, short term, it, oh, it's, always, point. It's, it's an easy way to kind of get the system implemented and, and still keeping your freshmen and your younger guys engaged. You know, we have five JUCO help. guys. Is that right? I think that is right. Right, and, and the two transfers. So you're right. I mean, we we have a class of of 19 right now, but really, you have five of those guys that are essentially juniors or maybe mm-hmm. at least sophomores. So mm-hmm. it's not counting all against your freshman class. So, um, yeah, it's uh, a good point. Uh, and yeah, like they they've climbed up. You know, we've dropped in the rankings and we've climbed back up. You know, I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the on the rankings, but I do find it interesting because uh, our quarterback Adrian Martinez. He just recently, you know, I think they did their final evaluation. He slid into the top 100 right. uh, in the rivals' final ranking. So um, it's interesting because it's one of the few times where we like offer a kid and his his rankings actually go up. I know Husker fans always <laughs> you know scream about that kind of stuff, but I watch it and it's kind of true. If Alabama offers a kid, uh, if he was a three star, we're gonna. There's just no way he's staying at three star. You know, mm-hmm. all of all of mm-hmm. guys go up. So anyway, it was just kind of a nice indicator of because keep in mind, Adrian Martinez didn't play his senior year at all. You know, he, he didn't do anything to earn a star or not a star, but to you know a bump up by play. I mean, he played the Under Armour game. That was it. So something influenced 
you know, the thinking on that. And, you know, I kind of think it's the new coaching staff. So I think that's kind of an interesting uh, kind of development and, and a hopefully a good indicator because, you know, rivals always kind of adjust their rankings to who's really good in college football, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> that's I, just my little rivals conspiracy thing. Love you, rivals. Don't get me wrong. But. And when you say that who's really good, it's not the player being good, it's the school being good, right? So, Correct. So, hey, this great school that with a great coach that's been doing a great job – some players going to them, okay, you bump them up one more star. Well, guess what? They are Absolutely. going to a great school with great coaching. They do great. They go into the pros, and then we get you know the draft time picks that say, look, all these draft picks were four-star kids. Of course they were. Mm-hmm. They were coming to, to most of the time four-star co- you know, colleges and, and, and getting great coaching. And, and you know what? That's fine. I'm, this isn't an argument or a time for that discussion for me. I, just, I agree 100% with you, Mac, where it just feels good that if – if the perception is that Nebraska with Frost is doing the right thing, and if that perception nationally is going to bump a kid a star or bump him into the top 100, if that gives us some advantage, then super. I, I'm, I'm cool with that. That's, it feels like the first time in a long time that that's been the case then with Nebraska. And hopefully that, that's going to be across the board with other positions. And, uh, you know, and then it has to be something that has to be earned and done again and again and again, but we kind of think that's going to Yeah, the evaluation happen. has to – bear fruit at some point right you know i mean they have to produce ultimately uh, to you know earn that reputation long term but yep. it's definitely a turning in the right direction yep you know another guy that we just landed that that cornerback um, clark yeah he he's a three-star right now yeah and i only bring this up because i was i was watching his twitter announcement i wasn't watching it i saw his i was like oh yeah. there it is you know but <laughs> no I, I saw the twitter announcement and there was a a picture of him, and it looked like the entire coaching staff it in his was. living room. I was amazed you know, with it, that. Wow. The only one missing that picture that I noticed was Ryan Held. So he had to either been holding the camera, or yeah. I can't imagine. Like him, <laughs> him of all people not being there, kind of, that's crazy to me. But anyway, um, they threw everybody at this kid. You know, that kind of tells you how, yeah. how, you know, what they think of him. You know, he was a priority, so I'd be interested. He was to one see of the first first uh, offers. They, I mean, one of the you know first five or ten offers, right? I mean, I mean, they so just, even a three star. They clearly liked yeah. him. His size, everything about that. Yeah. Right? So I mean, I think he might be a guy to watch and be excited about. And you know, one even mark, though he was one of the more lower ranked one guys that we've recently got, because the other yeah. the other three guys that we've gotten real recently were all four stars. Yeah. You know, and I, keep, I hate yeah. to keep referencing stars, but then again, it's Scott Frost, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Frost makes everything right okay. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's heard that. They're making us. They're making this balm. You can just rub it. It's just frost biofreeze. Well, and you know, Mac. I mean, it's a good point too. Is that you can even throw out the stars. You can go back the last couple of years with Riley, and for a number of, with a number of players at the receiving core, as an example, they wanted to get bigger body players. They made that very clear, and they would go after that Joseph Turner. They'd go after different players that were bigger bodies, and they just couldn't get them. They couldn't get some of the body type guys regardless of star, they couldn't get some yeah. of the guys they wanted. This staff has come out there and said they want speed. They've got it. They wanted one or two yeah. big-bodied guys, and they get that 6'6 McGriff, and they got the 6'3 um, receiver. I can't think of his name right off the top of my bat. Off the bat. They wanted a tall, long uh, uh, grown, uh, corner, and they just got that. And I don't care that he's a, yeah. a three-star guy or not. He's a 6'3 dude, and they clearly wanted him, sending the whole and the he whole played staff corner uh, in high school. It's not like where he has to transition over him. That was his his spot so yeah i mean this yeah they so they're getting the body type 
guys that they wanted to get. And I think that's that's an absolute credit right there to them too. And then as far as the recruiting side of it goes, I love that they've in this case they're hitting Florida strong. Makes sense. They've came they just came straight from there. This is I think the seventh kid from Florida so far yeah. in this class. And yet at the same time, for guys like me that are, you know, you know, I'm you know, get those in state kids and everything. Well, what did they do the first day after the dead period? They went across the state and went to Lincoln High and York and Gretna and Omaha, and they canvassed the state. And more importantly, not only did they canvass the state, they didn't send some social media thing out saying that they canvassed the state because nobody cares. You don't need to do that. It's that should just become approach. that yeah. should just become part of the of the the commonplace you know theme of what's going to happen under Frost at Nebraska. We're just going to canvass the state quite often. We're not going to create a name for it. It's just going to happen because it's what you Spread do. Spread the red. Spread it red, you know. And then, yes, so, we will still get Florida and Texas and California and all the, that. The Florida push was pretty impressive over the weekend, right? So, I mean, before Clark, they got uh, Watt, right? Dominic Watt, uh, the wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, and then Jones, the kind of athlete, right? And Watt and Jones are both four-star guys, right? I mean, yeah. that, that was – I mean, they got Watt to commit without even doing his official visit yet, right? I mean, talk about being a closer, right? I mean, geez. That was – you know, that's a good point, Dave, because that, that, that is one thing this staff does well. I think they close on these guys. I Man. mean, you hear about them in on a guy, and you pretty shortly after have heard about that guy committing to us. You know, it's just not been this dragged-out process. Now I understand it's late in the game, so that is going to be a little accelerated. But it would be interesting to watch this staff over the course of a year uh, what kind of you know relationships they've built up. It makes sense that we're getting a lot of Florida guys this year. That's natural. That's where they were. That was going to be their backyard. So you, you know, you're going to bring those guys because that's who you have your relationships with this cycle. And, and, that, right. and that will also – it will probably leak into the next couple because yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. And, and that's fine. That's great. That's perfect. And then we can and we can kind of just blend it into this 500-mile radius. I assume they'll kind of keep that sort of mindset. But a couple it, of those you know, UCF guys coming along, that's a nice, nice advantage to keep it, that Florida pipeline going, though, right? It would, I mean, it would never hurt, yeah, yeah, to have that that kind of a connection. Those kids are proven players. I mean, those guys like to hit. They're aggressive football players. You know, they, they've, they've shown to travel well north. You know, we've gotten some good results feel, from Florida guys. I'm throwing this to anybody here, but how do you feel the early signing period and now this kind of second wave of recruiting where there's this much smaller um, pool of candidates out there, but you can throw a lot of attention at them, um, very specific needs, or as I've heard, uh, you know, some some programs now can just go after the best available, right? It's like everybody's they've got everybody they kind of need, so let's let's go after the best guy that we want out there, right? And throw everything at him. It's a it's this is a whole new ball game. It feels like with this phase two of uh, the recruiting signing day. I really like the new signing. I like it a lot. I feel like it just saves a lot of time, and it you know it kind of takes some of the liars out of the out of, you know out of the equation. You know, like, yeah, yeah, it, it just was like, OK, here's a guy I can count on. You know, it just shakes it out a little bit. And and it just, you know, why waste the resources on running back and forth on a kid, you know, or, you know, trying to drag along a team? You know, it's just it's it just kind of gets more to the point. And I'm I am for that. I think for the most part, these kids know um, some, and you know, the ones who drag it out. 
why, you know, you kind of have to start questioning it. You, why do you need these extra four months? Did you not know you were going to play college football? <laughs> Did it just dawn on you that a college choice may be coming in your future? Right, Did right. you just get good? I mean, well, it's on. interesting though. I mean, I, I mean, a few of these guys though, have gotten offers recently. One of these guys are going after. I don't remember his name. Honky, you, you're horrible at names too, like Palmer or something like that. Just got an offer from Alabama a couple days ago, right? I mean, he played this thing all the way out, and somehow he got an offer from Alabama. He's probably going to go to a four star because of that, right? But um, I don't, you I don't watch. know who he's going to choose. But the guy played this thing out, and now he's. More of the best available, so suddenly uh, Ohio State and, and Alabama are after the guy, right? Well, and we're, we've seen a couple examples of this. Uh, you know, Mapew, the, the defensive tackle in, in York, and and Milton Sarbro in, in Omaha. I believe there's a couple of kids there that have some grade concerns, and that yep. factors yep. into this early signing period too. Because uh, if you sign that kid and he doesn't make grades, it still counts against your your scholarship right. count for that class. So. Um, there are kids that you very much still want, and we everything I understand, we still very much want Mapew as an example. But they just haven't. Nebraska hasn't pulled the trigger on on taking his signature until they yeah. can get guaranteed that he has the grades, and hopefully he does. It sounds like he's he's making good progress there. Every time we get a kid or lose a kid on on Twitter, we always kind of send out a tweet that says, "You win some, you lose some in recruiting." And I think one of the positive that that has come out of this early signing period is the kids that you win early on, you get to just sign them and be done with it. Cameron Juergens, up until the last moment, was still getting LSU and certain schools coming after him. Well, now that he's signed right. a month ago, it's it's over. He's yeah. coming here, and it allows the, the, the staff to focus on the guys that they now need to get at other positions, you know. And so I think that's and a even positive. Start moving forward, too, right? I mean, they don't have anybody on campus this weekend at all for official visits. So it's all about 2019 uh, this weekend, maybe they're they're out, you know, looking at next year's class, right? Yeah. This this last weekend they had nobody on on campus, and I believe this week they probably will. I mean, this is going to be the last. Is this the last weekend, or is next weekend the last one? Boy, yeah, can't. you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just uh, this last. last but just they, like they yeah, just a couple days ago, the next two weekends they will. Yeah, correct. They have two and, more. And you know, Mac was also saying, you know, as you kind of, it'll be interesting to see what this staff as you go through the course of the next 12 months over the course of the year and see how they kind of evolve along the way of that year right now you're selling a little bit of hope or you're selling what they did at another school it'll be interesting to start seeing kids coming in here in spring ball where there's junior visits early junior visits that they can come down and they can come into spring ball and they can see practices and they can come and watch how we actually are doing things at nebraska because mac you you were uh paying attention a little bit to some ucf uh Twitter over the last couple of weeks, and and they had some, uh, oh, what was it from a coach's clinic a week ago, a year ago, and talked about some of the practices and how UCF ran things, and just how impressed you were. And imagine recruits being there, seeing the same thing. Oh yeah, it was it was a really cool. Uh, it was a guy, a, gen- a gentleman. I'm, I'd love to credit it, but I don't have that information. But I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thought ever, is what if counts. If you hear Mac, this, it's all right. If you hear this, good job, man. You know this was, but I read it. It was, it was a great. He went to the, he went to the coaches' clinic and just jotted down some notes that uh, he said Scott Frost was kind of up there and uh, they were having problems with the projectors, so he just ended up kind of riffing and talking football. And they went over his, you know, like his practice schedule and how they go ones versus ones, and they have, you know, 
and they have these super fast periods followed by like a teaching period right after that and then everything else is like a you know a, a quicker tempo and then it's all based on tempo and it's kind of accelerate slowly let off the gas accelerate slowly let off the gas and that's how they practice throughout all their sessions and it just be kind of becomes part of their uh their identity throughout the whole process their meetings um are, are like pop quizzes they you know they, they ask questions and they just kind of shoot it at them yeah and you know they have fast, like three right? or four seconds or something like that to answer the question because that's how the you know the games are called so um you know just and just kind of the, the streamlined process i mean it's an all it's all very well thought out you know you can tell he's been doing this for a while um and that was the part that was really impressive because this is ucf you know this isn't even right, right now that's that's a, that's like a couple years ago and think about how much better they're going to be even now and on top of the fact that it was a proven success model so that's also good news you know it's like <laughs> not a not a bad place to be right now for the husker fans for the coaching staff that all already understands exactly what needs to be done and in the order it needs to be done and at what pace you know they and they'll know what the difference between a team that's buying in and working on it and a team that's not. So mm. I don't know, man. It's yeah. sounds good. It seems like everything is happening uh, fast, essentially, right now in uh, Memorial Stadium. Uh, Honky, you want to add something? Yeah, you know, Mac, we've gone to the, the coaches' clinic for a number of years now, and we talked it's about going this. going to be the fastest coaches' <laughs> clinic ever. ever. <laughs> we, and we've talked about this last week with, like, the strength coaching staffs. We said from one staff to the next, it's not that the other one did it wrong. They just did it different. Well, I've kind of thought about over the last 15 years as we've gone to Solich, to, to Callahan, to Pelini, to Riley, and now on to Frost, as we've gone to them. Think of and, how, and clearly they've all done that wrong. I mean, like, we <laughs> well, know now but that think their of how, clinics were garbage. Yeah, think of how different <laughs> they did them. Like, Callahan's practices – they didn't do teaching on the field. Everything was it was about being efficient, get your stuff done on the field. If you made mistakes, we're going to fix that and film tomorrow. But they didn't spend time on the field to fix mistakes. It was about moving on. Everything was staying on schedule. That was a real big priority of, of Callahan. Mac, do you remember what Pelini practices were like? A lot of yelling and screaming. Absolute oh. chaos. It was yeah. chaos. It, it was, was so screaming. After, after every play... Nine coaches rushed in and were yelling at their individual, you know, skill players or their position group. But, I mean, you couldn't hear one voice over another. And so I guess when Riley came here, that was a different kind of practice where it did seem actually we were really impressed walking away from it. It seemed like there was, there was a lot of teaching going on, you know, in the moment. And that was probably a better step. But definitely everything that we've heard and seen with those uh, Rise and Conquer videos that UCF did that are on YouTube, yeah. all of that. Frost practices seem like they're fast-paced. It feels, I think, a little bit what Osborne was like when you break them into, uh, you know, the stations. A lot, you're not going to yeah. have knees on the ground. You're not going to have helmets off. People are going to be moving, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Well, and it's a real practice what you preach kind of model. It's like we're going to practice as hard and as fast as we plan on playing. And where have you heard that before? You know, yeah, that's, a, that's a, like music to a Husker fan. Jason <laughs> Peter, every you know, time is, he's on Big Red Wrap Up, says that's that. like that's part of the doctrine of Husker football. So, yeah. and it's been the biggest complaint I know for Honky for years about how we practice. It's driven him nuts. <laughs> and you it know? seems and, like this is a good, good, good way to. I mean, transition to some of the other stuff that's happening in North Stadium right now with Frost and companies. Like, it's not. I mean, the the practices are. 
done in a way that prepare you to play the game at a certain speed. Uh, the the weight uh, lifting is, is being done, it sounds like, in a certain way that uh, uh, is done. So it's preparing you to be ready for the next snap, essentially, right? They, they've timed all of this stuff out where it's like everything's down to a science, it seems like, uh, in some ways with this group. How about the meals? I mean, wow. You know, I... Yeah. I've been coaching. Yeah. I was coaching well. midget football for twenty years, and and one of the at the end of one of our years, we had the the banquet, and this is back in like two thousand one, two thousand two, long time ago, and we had a guy from the the nutrition staff at Nebraska back then come in and talk about how regimented things were, and it was very you know players ate this at this time and ate this at that time, and then here we're reading in the last week we're reading articles coming out about how under Riley they didn't enforce nutrition rules so guys yeah we will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a you know the greatest training table in the country and and our kids are going out to mcdonald's <laughs> riley was really big on the honor system it appears yeah i think that that's it's actually crazy. one of the probably the biggest weaknesses is looking back on riley he kind of trusted a lot true. of players to kind of make the best decisions and I, there are some players that I think can do that, but I think I mean just remember what we were like in college, we didn't always yeah. make the wisest of choices in life, and you know that's a lesson you learn. But I think if you want to be a successful football program, I think you do have to you know probably have a little heavier hand with some of them. Yeah, I don't think you so, need to go so to the, the cleany micromanaging level, but I think there is a. You're telling me that eating all the little red hot peppers at the Imperial Palace Express in the student union for your probably lunch was, was probably was not idea. the wisest of choices I made. <laughs> <laughs> that ATM in the union is the only one I know of you could take it out by the dollar. And I would take That's $3 right. out, get charged a buck 50, but I would take $3 out so I could get, I could get a foot-long subway back in, in college days. So that showed my economic sense. Yeah, you, you never claimed to be an economics or math major, so that's, that's no. good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was in journalism. That was a stiff ATM fee for the back in the days. Yeah, yeah, it didn't stop funky though. Well, anyway, I mean, I, I think all of that. Is, it's, I mean, the training table thing is amazing. A, the Riley thing it just blowed my mind away. I'm like, really? Are you serious? Uh, but then, uh, the meals not only are. I mean, you're required to have three square meals a day. Apparently, with with you know Frost uh, at the helm now. But I mean, like the the meal plans are tailored specifically to the players. Uh, Zach Duvall is like. You know, you're they're measuring how much sleep these guys are getting, all this type of stuff. It's, it feels like to me like this um, a, a frustrating point for a while to, for me in this is that we have the um, all the, the the best science going on at at um, in the athletic department with all the the biometrics and all this type of stuff, and they've never really seemed to figure out how to best utilize that. I feel like uh, you know Frost and everyone else, Zachtival is really going to embrace that and. Maybe that's the edge that we, we, we need back, you know? Yeah, well, I've heard and read things about it at UCF that they didn't have, as a mid-major, they didn't have some of those benefits of what we have here. So they would have players, right. not by choice, but by just the reality of their situation, they'd be going to McDonald's. And I think when you see Frost coming in here and not just having been here before and, and Duvall having been here before, throw all that aside, them coming to a place that gives them these resources – I think Frost, there's been, I've read some things where he's almost come off, you can tell, annoyed at how things were being done before. Where he's like, how could you come yeah. in here and not take advantage of that? And I guess from our perspective, being that we've been doing this podcast now for almost, well, I don't know, about eight months, but we started when Riley was here. And 
with Riley, you know, we would always say it as a, it was just kind of a given that he came from a place that didn't have all the advantages that Nebraska had, Oregon State. Right. And you would, it was just an assumption that he was using the heck out of every physical every advantage Nebraska could give him. Yep. And to, to, to hear now that he wasn't, to Boomer's point, I think that's part of the whole problem of that regime was it was just it was letting the, the kids run the show necessarily or not at least having the coaches run it. And that's that's not going to be the case with, with Frost. There's one guy in charge. You know that that's the thing with Riley. Who is in charge with Riley? I've, I've read people say you had a you had a owner <laughs> in Icorse, you had a GM in yep. in uh, you know Devaney. You yeah, had Devaney. who knows what Diaco's role was. Well, none of that's taking place with Frost. He is one hundred percent in charge, and he's going to use these resources we have. Yep, I hear that. All right, guys. Anything else? Uh, do at hockey? Do we have a mailbag that would be that's uh, right. appropriate right now? That's right. We've been doing a. Uh, last week we started up kind of doing the mailbag and and uh, we're going to keep doing that here. We're getting some good questions from from social media and from our email at gobigredcast at gmail. Uh, Scott Dace asked us, "Do you like the spring game being at 11 a.m. and move back to April 21st?" And so just a little preface to that: uh, in past years, uh, Riley was having uh, spring ball earlier, go for two weeks, then we'd take off a week for spring break, then we'd come back, finish up the last two weeks. And they'd have spring game somewhere in mid-April. Frost doesn't like that. He wants to have spring ball start a little bit later, start after spring break, go continuously, and in the process gives us another week or two of winter conditioning. Your thoughts? Right. Dave. Let's start with – no, actually, I want to hear Boomer because Boomer is always big on, uh, you know, game times and, and fan friendliness, et cetera. I'm sure he's got thoughts on, on this. It was a late move. I, I heard a few people complain about – Oh, I already bought airline tickets back, that type of stuff. What do you think, Boomer? Yeah, I mean, there is there is a measure of that, I think. But Nebraska fans are adaptable. We'll, we'll deal with that. And I'm, I'm just kind of guessing for us, biggest concern right now is, you know, fan convenience at the spring game. He's probably got some bigger fish to fry. That's fair. Uh, and, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons I heard that he to have this move was to better prepare for morning games since we'll have those. I don't know if that's such a big, big concern to me one way or the other. Do we know if uh, the 11 a.m. start has a has us as a live? I was going to ask uh, that. Telecast? I don't know. Does anyone know that yet? I don't know if the Big Tens come out with a schedule for spring speculated. games. You know? So that that would be a possible advantage. You know, maybe for a recruiting reason that would make sense. You know, it, I was kind of wondering how many even morning games do you think we're going to have in 2018? Honestly, I I bet we're not going to have a whole lot. Just looking at the schedule and the the meat of the teams we play and the. The fact I think there'll be a lot of interest in watching, you know, a Scott Frost team against a lot of them. So I don't know how critical that's sure. going to be. Plus, you have all summer to wake up early and figure out that that whole routine. But yeah, they're waking up by five thirty to, to work out. Yeah, I, I think, think they're going to we'll get used right to early early morning activity. But I, I do like uh, I do Mac. like the moving it past the spring break, kind of get everything all at once. You don't have that big break in the middle. That yeah. seems useful. Yeah. Mac, what do you think? Well, selfishly, I always kind of liked that it stretched out the whole spring process because I like to read about it and stuff. It just gave me something to do. But I totally understand wanting it to be kind of a kind of a crash, not a crash course, but a, just a complete process and not break it up in the middle. And gives them a couple extra that. weeks of of winter conditioning too, right? Which actually, I oh think yeah, I mean, if it's, anybody, it's, it's, it's this. That, this is the time to do it, right? Every every week would count on that one. I Absolutely. Think. And, the, you know, the recruiting component comes into it a little bit. The kickoff time kind of screws that up a little, and that's unfortunate. But, uh, 
but the hype for this game is going to be crazy. Whatever they can do to get guys in for this this event will be huge because yeah, the sellout. Right? I, I have no doubt that he'll be able to put some kind of performance out there that will look cool, so the crowd will go crazy. And uh, listen, it's like a it's like a powder keg with this guy right now. If we show any <laughs> kind of success on the field next year, the recruits are going to flock. To this guy, I think it's they a really good. Well, they're flocking right now. It feels that's like, what I'm saying. So. That's what I'm saying, and that's on the hope and the kind of the and the not so much the hope and the hope and the resume that he brings. Yeah, you know, if he starts yeah. delivering even a little bit, oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Uh, Honky, anything else on this, or you want to move on to, to number two? No, nah, you guys said everything I was uh, thinking about there. Let's move on to the next one, Brad Novotny. And he's asked, uh, how about the uh, long-rumored construction to South Stadium? Uh, do you think they can get it done in one offseason? Well, I'm not a construction manager or a structural engineer, but I'm thinking it might, might take an extra year. I don't know. Honky, you, you, you've You're uh, a city planner. You've got a thought of, idea. Uh, all right. Well, maybe I'll give you an opinion here in a second. Honky, you've thought long and, long and hard about this, uh, so make sure everybody knows – I mean, what, a, what, what do you want the South Stadium to look like, and what do you mm. actually think the rebuild would be? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure. Number one, there's infrastructure underneath the stadium, so I could see one full off season. And I'm not a construction engineer either, but I could see one full year just being getting the bottom underneath cleared out to do whatever they were going to do the second year of actual building. Right? There's a building underneath there that right now uh, houses computer science and engineering. And that's the one that used to be the football offices and everything. So any kind of rebuild of the South Stadium is dealing with actual school and 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 coursework and and you know departments you know of on, on the academia side. So, but what I would personally in my my perfect world, I would love to see obviously the concourse get completed. That's a major thing right now. You can walk from west to east along the north side, but South Stadium is effectively its own separate stadium. So I'd love to see that get done. Um, I would love to see a South Stadium where you have you know multiple decks to it, two or three tier, to where you're not walking backwards 90 rows to get up to the top. And, and those are not modern seats by any means anymore. And I'd love to see a second Jumbotron, a big Jumbotron on the top of South Stadium so that everybody in the entire stadium can see a Jumbotron. And then those four corners, those little TVs there, take them off restore the corners to their original glory of Memorial Stadium from the 1920s and bring back some of the history and the process of, of updating and, and making the uh, the stadium a little bit more uh, modern. Now, can all that happen in one off? Lights. <laughs> <laughs> now, can all that happen in well, I think that's where yeah, can in I, one I heard off the, season. That's the I heard question. the facade was going to be uh, shaped like a uh, the front of a combine? <laughs> with a with like a glass facade, and that was going to be the, sh- and it was just you know going to be. Well, I'd be fan. I've heard you know I heard hey, these red caskets results. Yeah. These Boy, are rumors, right? Happened. And we all have that uncle that knows somebody that knows somebody, right? But I had heard that back under Osborne when he was the AD that they wanted to even do things with like a Hall of Fame, you know, on that south side. Oh yeah, and yeah, and that didn't quite happen. Home. And then eventually they built that outdoor Hall of Fame, you know, that you can walk through on the on the sidewalk. I. St- Still think I'd love to see something. I'd love to see some kind of Hall of Fame, three sixty five, you know, days a year, and 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 be able to go in there from you know eight to five, and people would flock there in the middle of June that just want to see something about Husker football. 
but you know that you could get into it maybe take a little tour of the stadium we did that at notre dame one time on the way to a game at michigan Uh, we stopped at notre dame on a friday and did a tour of the football stadium thought that was so cool plus there's a functional standpoint to that too Right now, anybody that kind of wants to go in and take a tour or see the Heisman Room has to walk into North Stadium, which is where coaches and players and all those people are, are walking around doing kind of work. And, it's a great and place you, for high fives. Yeah, as cool as that <laughs> is, everybody. Yeah, as cool as that is, there's a lot of kind of bumping into each other too, and you can't go into certain spots. And it would be kind of cool just to have a dedicated area down there, down south. But again, would that take one off season? To Brad's question, probably not. That would probably take a couple and. But, uh, well, you know, I don't know. I was just I looked up. Uh, this made me think of Texas A and M, right? Mm-hmm. They completely rebuilt Kyle Field in in, in many ways, um, and their capacity never never really dropped significantly during that rebuild. So uh, again, I think this comes down to the structural part of it. Can you actually tear all that stuff out underneath, prep everything, leave the stands uh, up for a season, but do all this work around it? And then in you know the day after the last game, you're knocking that down, and can you rebuild it by September first of the next year? Correct. That's that's the question, that, right? That's, if they could do it at Kyle Field, I think maybe it's possible. Yeah, uh, I don't know. They might Over, have in, they in have slightly different construction seasons, I'm sure. But the, but to your point, who whatever they point, end up yeah. doing, whatever route, um, they're not going to want to affect capacity during a season. You know, it, they don't want to disrupt that during so games. The least amount, yeah. Boomer, anything on this uh, from a fan friendliness standpoint, et cetera? I think the idea of having the concourse and really just having some better amenities. You know, a lot of the, I mean, the pro stadiums and and a lot of the, the you know, rebuilds of stadiums like at TCU or, or Mac, you're there in Fort Collins. Lots of really interesting amenities where, I mean, you can do some fun stuff here and still have the, the capacity and, uh, that we have today, but yeah, maybe, maybe just do some better Like a cool bar stuff. there or something or a cool restaurant that might be kind of fun well i don't yeah, know if i'm I mean, the best t- judge I'm, I'm the type of guy who'd like to go back to 1909's nebraska field but anyway <laughs> yeah I, I think that would honestly be sweet though that'd be kind of cool i i think there would be some value to some of the things you talked about you know for you know the concourse so you could go all the way around the stadium is great you've been to other stadiums in the big Ten, like minnesota it's a nice little compact stadium easy to get around you can make an entire trip yep. around it that just kind of ties the whole the whole feel of it together you no longer have that you know kind of segregated feel that memorial stadium currently has with everyone in their weird little sections that you can never mingle and i think the you know another possible advantage you know we've talked about how we've probably kind of maxed out maybe ticket sales until frost leads us to success in which case they'll go flying off the shelves but i would (laughs) think you know if you do add that extra level to the south stadium that would possibly allow you to you know kind of take out seats in certain areas and yet still keep the overall attendance at games about the same you know with most americans nowadays wearing such thick heavy coats in the winter it's just a little harder to to wedge into some of those stadium you know some of those seats it would just kind of make everything a little more comfortable i think for everybody and really add to that experience yeah that's a really nice yeah. way of saying people got fat over the years but <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it but, i just noticed coats have just gotten so much over the years <laughs> it's the strangest thing that's, that's but true. you know and we've talked a lot about amenities and amenities are really important as we're finding out when things don't go well and just a month or two ago or a couple you know two three months ago we were very concerned about selling games out for iowa or keeping iowa fans out of the stadium or not having you know seats right. empty and it's amazing where if you start playing better or if you have excitement like we have right now all of a sudden a spring game a scrimmage in the middle of uh april uh, we're concerned about getting tickets now. So that's going to probably sell out, you know, 
just because, as soon right? As they go, go live, Re- regardless think, yeah. of the amenities. But one of the things I do think this would be one other thing about the South Side I'd like to see. If you did some kind of tiered thing, let's say they tore it down and did a three decker. One other thing I'd like to see is a dedicated student section. Ever since we were in college, we've had that. Con- you know, you have students are in the South Stadium, they're in the East Stadium. They're you don't want right. to put them in front of donors because they stand and donors will get upset. It would be great to have just a whole section where they can all stand they can do everything it'd be in an end zone which isn't any different than camp randall and then have the second deck be above them to where that can be suites and you know the next the next deck but at least that whole first deck could just be nothing but students and a dedicated area like that i think would be a really cool thing that could come out of a process like this so really use this not just to rebuild a stadium or just to update an amenity but really use it to kind of reshape uh, Memorial Stadium in that that direction, and like I said, I love the idea of modernizing it, adding amenities, and then bringing back some of the history. And to me, the history would be taking those TVs off the corners, expose those original the windows, the stories that are in there. The you know I can remember hearing when Bob Devaney was a coach, Bob Brown was playing on the you know in practice, and he wouldn't work hard, and Devaney would say, "There's pro scouts up there, you know, watching you." Is that true or is that folklore? Doesn't matter. It's the fact is that that's right. out there. Barry Switzer used to have, uh, you know, uh, scouts up there, you know, watching our practices and before we'd play. <laughs> that's great. Is it true? Probably actually with Switzer. But point is, that is, that's part of Husker history. Let's let's bring it back. So, anyways, thank you, Brad, for the question. The last question here, and I think this is, this is kind of the the big one here. Nate Otten asks, "What year does Nebraska win its first Big Ten title?" And now, you know Crickets. what, Boomer, you, let's go, <laughs> no Boomer. Wants to make this guess. All right, Boomer. Oh, how are you, buddy? Uh, what year? Huh? Well, man, that's not easy. Let's just say, without looking at schedules, we'll just go with twenty twenty two. How about that? Okay, All right. year four, Mac? five. Year five. Year five. Mac, what are your thoughts? Four years. 2021. Four years. 20. Yeah. That's what I was going to go with. 2021. That would be Martinez's red shirt junior year. Okay. I'm going 2019. I think in year two. Year two. Year two, we win the Big Ten. Wow. Frost seems to do well. That is some scarlet colored glasses right there, folks. (laughs) No doubt about it. That's right. Wow. All right. Well, thank you. Michigan will have a new coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Michigan will, yeah. So will Iowa. Thank you again uh, for everyone that. Submitted questions there to the mailbag. Uh, you keep asking, we'll keep saying them. So that's it Excellent. for that. Dave. All right, guys. I think that's a that's a great great segment there for scarlet colored glasses. Uh, Boomer, do we have uh, trivia already ready? I've got trivia ready. Whenever you're ready, Dave. I've... And it's football related. Uh, somewhat, yeah. Trivia time. It's actually kind of a just a interesting question. It uh, popped up around the the lunch table at work the other day. Someone made an offhand reference about Nebraska ball that. You know, maybe we should just have Frost coach uh, basketball, too, you know, keep the program exciting ah, there as yes. well. And uh, you've heard me mention it before, and uh, my favorite Husker coach, uh, Ewell Jumbo's team, was not only the football <laughs> coach, but also the basketball coach at the same time. So I was curious, and I looked into it, and uh, so I'm asking you, how many uh, coaches in Nebraska history have been both head football coach and head basketball coach? Wow, that's going to be a tough Probably, one. Probably, yes. 
Threeve. Threeve. Was that Frothingham guy, Boomer? Was he one of them? No, no. Langdon Frothingham? No, no. And he was only, he was only football coach because he happened to have a football, so he, yeah. <laughs> I brought it. I win. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, name a couple other of the really old ones and just building, tell me yes or no. Building did, Yost might have did both. Yeah, did Yost? No, no, he did not. Biff Jones? No, no. Did nah, did the really did the Vanny coach play? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. This is like McGuire's second quiet time. Oh, this is the headaches here, man. I don't even. I don't. I'm. Yeah, this is three. this one's kind of out there. Yeah, I was. I three was curious. Is the best answer. I'm going with three. 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 Three is pretty close. The correct answer is actually four total, and not only the great yes. four total. Oh. The great Ewald Jumbo three Steam. And five is three <laughs> or four. Uh, so Ewald Steam was a fabulous coach in both uh, football and basketball. He actually had a 55 and 14 record as basketball coach here. Went 33 and four in conference his first three years. Never lost a conference game and won the Missouri Valley three times. Uh, e, uh, EJ Doc Stewart was a head coach and uh, for football and basketball in the 1917 season. Then the uh, forgotten Husker coach Ernest Beard also uh, pulled double duty. Uh, yes. And uh, Adolf J. Lewandowski pretty much did everything for Nebraska athletics in the 40s during the wartime. He was a football coach. He coached uh, basketball for uh, a time. And uh, actually was also a baseball coach as well. Wasn't particularly good at any of them, but, heck, somebody had to fill that role. So he did that. And we did have a wide variety of other coaches that coached basketball and actually were assistants on the football staff as well, like Paul Schistler and L.F. Pop Klein as well. It's kind of an interesting... uh, Pastime in Nebraska, pulling yeah, double duty to make ends meet. We've had some players yeah, like Matt Davison and Wilson yeah. Thomas and Tim Newbert. You remember back then? Yeah. Uh, Eric, Eric Strickland, I think, tried out at tight end uh, after his basketball eligibility was done. If I remember right, he, he was in sp- oh, really? spring practice. Richard Van Polke mm-hmm. should have been a offensive tackle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And and you know uh, actually I that, imagine Rich King lining up at Tina. That, that would have been, been nice. great. Uh, you know that's actually something did that Zach Potter play basketball for us too. He who no he did not but he okay. Potter but he played it in well in high school I guess that's not that's not even remotely yeah he didn't play yeah but he was question. a pretty good high school player wasn't he yeah yeah so it was I mean Zach's anyway, Zach's good up. point anyways yeah Nebraska ball all right guys let's talk a little Nebraska ball here. And uh, it's been an entertaining couple of uh, games we've seen here. Now, I think the last podcast we were actually doing this as we survived a scare at home uh, against Illinois. Is that right? Boy, I've almost Correct. forgotten that yeah. game because since that time, uh, last Thursday, we might have had one of the best Nebraska basketball games played in decades as Nebraska routed Michigan, uh, winning by 20 and then, uh, unfortunately, tonight they uh, gave Ohio State a, a legitimate scare, which is a lot more than a lot of other teams have, have tried to do against that Ohio State team this year, but fail uh, failed to pull off the road win again. Guys, uh, you guys trending on the optimistic side right now with uh, Husker basketball? Boomer? Uh, yeah, it's, again, just kind of the... I'll take that as a no. Honky. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's. I think it's hard not to be optimistic about the fact that 
that the team is playing better. I mean, against Michigan and Ohio State, if they play that way, I, I think against these last nine teams that they're going to play, that they, they should win six or seven of them. And if they win six or seven yeah, of nine those games, games left. Yeah. You know, think of it this way. Right now we are 14-8. and eight. We have nine games left. Five of those nine are at home. And and every one of those teams. For the last five. Yeah. And if we can win those five games, you know, protect home. If you win those games, you have 19 wins just right there alone. You have four away games at that point where you're playing at Illinois, at Rutgers, at Minnesota, at Wisconsin. If you can pull off one of those wins, you've hit 20 wins for the season if you can win the home games. And that doesn't guarantee you an NCAA tournament, but if you can get into the Big Ten tournament and win one game there and you're at 21, I think it's really hard to keep you out. And if we were at 20 wins, if we won, what, another six, that would be 11 and 7 in conference. I just, yeah, you know, I, I, 11 and 7 in conference. Normally I would tell you that's in, I mean, I, I, the Big Ten's down a little bit. Boy, I, I think it'll be tough to, to mm-hmm. tell you that you're not going to make it in as the fifth team in the in the league with that type of record. Yeah. Um, they're not going to have a lot of signature wins there. Michigan might be the best one. Well, tonight was a chance to, to really be a resume builder. Uh, you, you could have really uh, filled out the resume by beating a, a ranked team on the road, mm-hmm. which they will not have an opportunity to do. Again, unless uh, in the Big Ten tournament, at, at least a neutral site, they get another crack at, at someone like Ohio State or Michigan again or Michigan State, Purdue, whatever. And that would be a, a deal clincher there, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think, you know, as you listen to you know, the Big Ten Network and even some of the other national uh, writers, I, I think just by watching the games, you can you can tell that the talent is there. Um, to Boomer's, you know, honest dismay, I mean, th- there was opportunities tonight where they could have really padded their, their lead in the first half and, and had that at 10 or 12 points by just making a few more shots. Uh, they're so close to to really breaking through, and, and the question is, will they actually break through? Yeah, uh, these last nine. That's games? been the biggest problem with this team this year. It's you said the talent is there, and I was texting with another one of our associates and you know Redcast listeners, Cody, earlier today about this, and it's just they were, if this team could just ever all get on the same page with players, I, I think Michigan was the example of how good they can be. It's just. Every other yeah. game, we're just never there, and it and it does and it strangely doesn't even matter like which opponent we're playing. Ohio State's we're close, we just can't quite do it. You know, Purdue, we even had opportunities to push that game closer. I don't know if we ever would have ultimately won that game, but we it, yeah, it could have been closer than the score indicated. And then we have games against like Penn State and Illinois, where we're playing basically at their level too. It's just this team just mm-hmm. always seems to just kind of be right about at the level of the opponent. Mm-hmm. We could just get. Yeah, that's the scariest yeah. thing about the next. Yeah, that's what games, I mean. Yeah, right? any of these I mean, games, you know, on paper we should be favored in the majority of them if you just look at the athletes and records and things like that. But this team's shown it can, you know, show up for those and just and possibly lose some of them just because yeah. they just haven't taken that next step and realized, hey, we're better than all these teams. Let's all play together on that page. Let's all do what we can do. Honestly, they, yeah. they, they just didn't even play that well tonight. Now, let's give Ohio State some credit. I mean, I think they, they're they a very good defensive team, just like Nebraska is. But James Palmer went off for 34. Yeah, Palmer had an insane and, game, and, and no one else really did. I mean, what, yeah, Copeland No one else eight, got double digits. We have somebody, one other player in double digits. 
you know, this yeah. is a winnable game. You know, Ohio State, I think, had four players in double digits. We had one with 35, and then we had, what, three starters that averaged, what, maybe six, eight points between three of them. I think that's kind yeah. of the big difference yeah. is. We were, yeah, and t- I mean, tonight was a unique game in that because this team hasn't had that issue where we've only no. had one person scoring. This has been a pretty deep and balanced team for the most part for most of this year. I think – the optimism comes from we're not we're clearly not out talented by a lot of these teams that we're playing now. Um, for the for the recruit Knicks out there, we have a starting lineup right now that has one five star and four four stars on it. So for those people that want talent and stuff, I think I think our starting lineup speaks for itself there just from a, a recruiting talent perspective, right? But from an X's and O's perspective, and one of the guys that, that we talk with, and I talk with quite a bit, he actually won our bowl pick him, Dave McGee. Um, He's a big basketball guy, and, and, and one of the things that, that he's talked about is is the number of threes that we shoot in the game. And yeah. we shot 28 yeah. today. We didn't make a lot of them. We shot 26 against Penn State, another loss. Didn't make a lot of them. We shot 11 against Michigan. At, and we were driving and aggressive. And every every game, every Twitter game, or every game on Twitter, follow us. We'll I'll post video after video of, I'll call it my five slamma jamma, uh, uh, you know, Twitter thread, and it's just video after video of dunks. There wasn't a single one tonight. We just no, weren't getting well, to the rim. Saw, That's and Palmer succeeded when he was driving to the hoop. I mean, that was really kind of the yeah. where he seeted in this game. Wait, and no a, one a part else of this did. is de- the, the defensive, uh, you know, scheme that we're going against. And and Palmer did get to the hole some tonight, but not as often as he normally would have. It felt like in Ohio State, I think it was pretty good at shutting down those driving lanes, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, they did something that Michigan wasn't able to do. So, I mean, part of that is who you're playing and how well they actually defend. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I think it. we will go as, as much as our ability to, to penetrate and, and get those type of easy buckets opposed to selling for threes. Another point that shouldn't be lost here going in these last nine games is Glenn Watson, uh, who coming into the year was, you know, seemed like the team leader and our, our leading scorer and has stepped back just a little bit on that. Now, there's just more people that are able to score. JP, JPJ just is, I mean, he's, he's a guy that we didn't have last year like this. Anton Gill can go off. Copeland can go off. Uh, Roby. So Watson doesn't need to do that as off. Roby can go off. Uh, he had 14 or 15 there against Michigan. Uh, but if if we are going to go and make the NCAA run, Glenn Watson needs to have a, a couple of solid back-to-back games again and just fill like he's uh, a key part of this um, this offense because I think he's struggling a little bit on his roles, and I think that's a big part of the, the, the storyline the last uh, nine games of the season. Yeah, yeah I well, mean, he I mean, had a two-point performance today. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to carry the load, but he's got he's to perform better than that. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah. that's 27 more 10, 11 points. points a game. That's 27 yeah, less yeah. points than he put up against uh, Minnesota. So yeah, he, and we he shot one we for need... twelve today. I mean, that's yeah. that's just kind of what it was. I mean, yeah, we yeah. don't we don't need him scoring thirty a game. Jeez, you got to get to about double digits. Yeah. yeah, you get to ten yeah. points out of him. That's exactly what you want, I think. Yeah. Well, we had a Twitter poll this last week, and it was uh, who was kind of through. We're just past midseason. Was it our basically. biggest Nebraska Twitter poll ever, Hunky? What's that? Was it our biggest Nebraska Twitter poll? It was our biggest poll. What size poll was it? <laughs> Anywho, uh, who is the MVP? And I think our Redcasters, the, the fans out there, are pretty smart. Uh, the, the options were Copeland and Palmer Jr., Roby and Watson, and, 
And they look really smart tonight because 58% of them said James Palmer Jr. And he turned around and he, and he had 34 points. And we had about almost 500 votes on that one. So uh, 25% said Roby, 10% said Copeland. And then Boomer, to your point, Watson was 7%. And I think if you'd asked that same question prior to the season, there's a good chance that Watson you know, gets the most amount of votes at that point. A couple of these guys are yeah, transfers, and Roby was – he's just a sophomore. You know, had only played one year, wasn't even a starter. So – um, Watson, yeah, yeah we're going to need more production out of him than that. We did do another poll tonight just right after the game, and there's about 200 votes already on this. And it's just simply it's with just the five. It's a smaller poll. It's a smaller poll. <laughs> it's a smaller, quicker poll. Um, right. More to the point. More to the point, yes. Um, the next five games, we play at Rutgers. Iowa comes here. We go to Wisconsin, to Minnesota, and then we have Rutgers at home. I mean, five winnable games, right? So, out of those five, next right. five games, how many are we going to win? Five, four, three, or two? And right now, uh, basically 70% of the people think we're going to win either four or five. And uh, then 24% think three. So, really, it's only like 5% right now think that we're going to win two. So, the point is, these next five games, they're not really signature wins, but you just got to win them. We just got to win. win. Win the next five games. They're all winnable. Yep. Win those games, yep. I and I agree. think we'll be in that tournament is – disappointing as it is that we didn't get the signature win tonight or we didn't get the signature win by one point against Kansas. It stinks that we didn't get them, but just win the games we have ahead of us right now that are very winnable. Protect home. Yeah. Have your win-loss record be so so good, it's just hard for the committee to keep you out. Right? Correct. If you win that many games, I think ultimately your API is going to get up there, and it's not even that bad right now. And uh, you, you you finish strong, and you, you have the look of a tournament team. What is the uh, RPI I think date the next, right now? Do you know? Yeah, I'd have to look it up really quick. I think going into that game, it was in the 60s. Um, so I imagine, although you, you you lose to a good team, it, it may not actually it might actually get better. It's quite possible. Um, you, Dave, so I mean, they're not that far out of RPI. Dave, you actually talked about this know, like on one of our shows a year ago when we were finishing up last year's basketball season. But RPI, some of it's based off of, like, playing a game on the road, right? Doesn't that tr- treat it differently? Well, that, that was baseball RPI, and I don't believe the basketball RPI oh. actually favors. But I could be wrong on that. It's worth um, – Boomer, maybe you can be looking this up right now as I dig myself into a deeper and deeper hole. But uh, <laughs> the RPI in uh, baseball and basketball are essentially the same thing, but in, in baseball because of the really uh, wide variety of un- unbalanced schedules essentially – and the um, uh, the typical uh, northern teams having a lot of road games early in the year because of weather, they actually loaded uh, road wins to mean more than uh, home wins in in, um, in baseball. I don't know if that's the case in basketball. I kind of doubt it. Um, but the RPI plays strength of schedule and your opponent's uh, strength of schedule and, and et cetera. So um, Ohio State didn't hurt us by any means by losing that game, I don't think. Right. Anyway, RPI is not as as big of a factor in basketball as it is in baseball, um, because the committee does have a lot more um, data points to work with. I feel like, but yeah, basketball um, does not weight differently for uh, road and home wins on that. So there you go. Baseball does, for the reasons Dave yep. Dave uh, illustrated there. Ah, thank you. Uh, so I, I think you know we got Rutgers here in a couple of nights. It's an amazing four-game stretch here. Michigan, Ohio State, Rutgers uh, in uh, 
Jeez, that's, that's Wednesday, it looks like, at, at Rutgers, and then turn around for an Iowa home game, uh, and then right back on the road for Wisconsin. That's a um, quite a turnaround. And if you could, you know, win all three of those, uh, we'll know a lot more by the next podcast, practically, where this team's going to stand. Because after that, you get a week off, regroup, and you have a, a few more road games, but you finish with four or five at home, and to hockey's point, you just got to win those. So. Yep. Should be interesting. Um, I, I think this team can make some noise, but they just gotta gotta prove it to us. All right, guys. Anything else, Mac? Uh, I know you've just been biting at the the chomp here to, to join I us. I will say this: I've, the games I've watched this year, and I've watched most of them, I have been impressed with our overall athleticism. We look, uh, we look good out there. Like I just, we're a lot more nimble, not so lumbering. There's quick and they're long, and they, you know, they can all. They're all fairly athletic, so that's a little difference that I've seen. Um, they played aggressive tonight, and I don't know. I thought both teams played really good in the second half, man. I, it was just going to be one of those one of those kind of games you have to make the plays in the end, and Ohio State did, and we didn't. No big deal. Although, gosh, man, all the games I watch, I feel like they just murder us in the paint and get no calls. I don't know. Probably our biggest drawback maybe, is rebounding. Maybe right that's now. just my imagination. Mm-hmm. But jeez, man, I felt like our guys were getting killed. That one strip some I had that... on Roby, that he turned around and slapped him in the arm. And I'm like, bro, oh, what a steal! I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But yeah. whatever, hey, you know. There's two teams right now in the Big Ten that are that are far ahead of each of the rest, and that's Purdue and, and Ohio State. Both haven't lost a game yet. Nebraska lost them both in competitive games. I think for the most part, Purdue we just we we got behind a little bit early, but both of those were road games. And and tonight, I mean, Ohio State had beaten six of the eight teams in the Big Ten that they'd beaten up to this point. They'd beaten by double digits. They beat Michigan State by 16. They beat Maryland by 22. So I don't want to get so down on the team here. It just stinks we didn't get this signature win. But just to back to what we were saying before, okay, we didn't get this signature win. Win the others. That's it. You know, it'd just be it'd – be, I know Mike was talking about this before too. It just seems like when somebody gets hot on this team – Everybody almost else goes default sort of cold, or they just sort of stand there and wait for them to do the offense. It'd be nice if there was a way they could get a couple guys going at once. Just yeah, and when they do, threats. it's it's the Michigan game, mm-hmm. right? You know? I mean, they they had that against Michigan. Yeah, uh, yeah. everybody it, was contributing. Yeah, as good as Palmer and... was tonight, it was like it was either him or nothing. Is what it was going there for a while. I was like, uh, yeah, you know. that's where someone like Copeland as as your five star guy who well, they're all capable. Really very, you know, he's a little bit quieter, but Copeland's our, our most consistent performer, almost, it feels like. Yeah. And uh, this is where I feel like he should have been able to step in a little bit and be that second scorer tonight yep. that could have gotten us over the hump. And know. it wasn't even like he was shooting poorly. He just wasn't trying to shoot. Yeah, he doesn't get as, uh, as many looks. He doesn't have the, his hand on the ball as much as uh, Palmer or, or Watson would have. Uh, he's counting on other people to, to get him open on the wing, etc., yeah, just a little bit different, you know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway that's all, right, all we got to say about that. <laughs> like I said, but next podcast we are going to have uh, a a lot more to say because we will have three more games underneath our belt uh, with Wisconsin being played uh, next Monday night as that third game. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, guys, you guys ready for some parting shots? Yep. Let's go with honky. All right, well, this last week has been a, a good week for the athletic department and Bill Moose, uh, despite tonight's loss. 
uh, I was listening on Thursday morning to KLIN 1400 AM and Jack Mitchell. Uh, he was interviewing John Cook, and Cook was on there talking about how the just the the kind of the culture already within the athletic program it's changed in a positive way. He mentioned it the morning that was the morning of the Michigan game. He talked about uh, uh, you know how he's seen it a little bit with Miles, and he really you know thought that we'd have a good game that night against Michigan and. Um, and it's a great podcast. Listen to that one if you can. Go to 1400 and listen to theirs. But this last week, just not just the football, continuing to have success on the recruiting trail. We went 16-0 across the other sports. Men's basketball went 2-0. Again, this is last week, so not counting tonight. Women's basketball went 2-0, beating two ranked teams. Rifle beat Navy, which is kind of scary. Um, <laughs> men's tennis beat Creighton. Wrestling uh, defeated two ranked teams. Men's gymnastics is still number one. Uh, track and field number one. So it's a good time to be a Husker right now. Uh, the athletics program is strong. Uh, we're still working on that football and the men's basketball, but uh, good times are ahead. That's right. That's kind of old school. Back in the day to have men's gymnastics and track and field, uh, those were used to be uh, highly ranked programs that have kind of been a little quieter the last couple of decades. So it's interesting that they're they're back on yeah, top. Yeah, men's cool. gymnastics defeated number three Ohio State last week. So it was there a good go. week across the board for Husker athletics. Nice. Uh, how about Mac? What do you got? Um, I'm just going to continue to revel in the success of this most recent coaching hire of ours. Um, even right now, <laughs> we've got a couple guys just dangling on the hook. I was hoping I was going to be able to drop some breaking news, but they. I can't totally confirm someone's just committed or not, but they're on a roll, guys. It's uh, you know, That's it can't get point. here fast enough. Have, uh, Even you know, uh, two, three more four-star guys. Probably um, you know, next bump us up, get us in that so. top twenty. No big deal. No big deal. Absolutely. Just another frosty All right. day. Yep. <laughs> All right, Boomer, take us home. What do you got? Well, I just was gonna. Kind of go off what Hockey was saying. <clears throat> Husker Wrestling did have a pretty decent weekend this week. You know, they did were able to come back from a slow start against Rutgers. So there is one home game or one home series left with uh, wrestling. So if you're into that, folks, it's a match, please I believe. do that against it's Indiana. So at the Devaney Center. And uh, since it's wrestling related, I would like to suggest Bill Moose just to read a few emails about, uh, uh, you know, James Rashke, the great Baron, who we really need in the uh, Husker Athletics Hall of Fame. Just remember, uh, hashtag induct the Baron, everybody. That's right, hashtag induct the Baron. All right, guys, great stuff. Good show. Had a fun time tonight. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week with another Redcast. So let's call that a Go Big Redcast. GBR. GBR. GBR.